Well, the second lesson this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. Friends, let us together hear the word of the Lord. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, And I tell you that you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, friends. Thanks be to God. Well, as we've been talking about this season of Lent, that Lent is about healing And as we're thinking about healing during this season, one of the things that I also made you aware about last week and that I'll continue to sort of suggest and put on your radar, um, for those folks who read, there is a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom by Rachel Naomi Remen. She is a physician, MD, a teaching physician at University of San Francisco and has done her whole work on the differences between being cured and being healed. So I just offer that to you as a resource. And then she's also done a podcast with On Being where she reflects on her own journey and her own story about what it was like to be healed, um, though she is a lifelong sufferer of Crohn's disease. And those are some voices that have spoken into my life recently um, as I've been thinking about healing. And so I want to offer those to you as a way of framing this But I also want us to draw close around this topic, around this idea, and really begin to explore what it means that Lent is a time for healing, because it is. It is. It is, and we just need a little bit more space and maybe a little bit more information to figure out how that impacts each of us in a different way. But it's very hard to heal unless you know which disease from which you are suffering. It is very hard to heal unless you know which disease from which you are suffering. Now, some of us know that like the back of our hand. We're very clear about that which we suffer. And others of us are still figuring it out. We still maybe don't have language about the way in which we have navigated our suffering or the particular situations that continue to trigger suffering within our own lives 
and we still don't have language or words to figure out how to make sense of that. And so Lent offers us that time to pay attention and to wonder, what is this dis-ease, breaking the word apart, dis-ease, what is this dis-ease that we are suffering from, both in our individual experience and in our collective experience in what it means to be human? And how is God working with us during this Lenten season to help us to understand that sickness and to make sense of it so that we can begin to understand how healing can happen? Now, friends, I um, am not going to be able to stand before you during this Lenten time and offer a comprehensive understanding of what it means to be healed. But I feel like it's important to begin that conversation. And so what I'm offering during this season is not a comprehensive understanding, but the beginnings of a conversation about what healing can look like. And some of that healing is physical, some of it isn't. Some of it is corporate, some of it isn't. Some of it is individual, some of it isn't. Sometimes it's just figuring out how to name our sickness, and that can then be the beginning of the healing story. So I just wanna open and broaden that conversation so that we begin to think about healing in a more, from a broader space, from a spacious perspective. Now we have, we have a whole host of words that help us, uh, both theological words and civil words, words within our society and words within our church, that sort of help us to make sense of this idea of dis-ease. We have words like pain and hurt. We also have words like sickness. We have words like violation. We have words like oppression. We have theological words like sin. And all of us as humans, myself included, all of us are quite reluctant to sort of get into this language of dis-ease. Whatever words we want to use around it, we're, we're a little uncomfortable with it. Because I think that when all is said and done, at the end of the day, we'd really like to believe that everything is fine. I know that most of the time, I really like to believe that, you know, everything is just fine. I'm doing great. Kids are doing great. How are you doing? Fine. Fantastic. And oftentimes, that's the course of a conversation that I might have with people within our congregation. And that is just kind of part of who I am. But I think that as we really begin to sort of unlock and unleash the potential for understanding our dis-ease, one of the things that we'll also begin to grow more comfortable with is talking about the ways we, in which we're naming our own diseases within ourselves, And we might even come to a place where we feel safe enough to talk about that. We might not. We don't need to take the temperature around that. We don't need to measure that within the life of our community. But we do. what we do need to know is that paying attention to our own diseases is part of the work of healing. And if we are interested in the work of healing, and we're interested in being a part of what God is up to in the work of healing, then we need to be also have a level or develop a level of comfort within the disease within ourselves. And that's part of the invitation of Lent. It's also, by the way, part of the invitation of this text that we have before us today. 
You see, the text is offering us today a perspective that it is actually helpful for us to be in touch with our own trauma, our own vulnerability, our own truth in order to have a deeper understanding and to actually know who we really are. When we're in touch with our own history, whether it be our collective history, right, as the people of Ballard, it's one of the reasons why we've had this um, fantastic work of art by Matt Whitney that sort of highlights some of the redlining that's happened within our history of Seattle. It's not to sort of point fingers at us and say, look what you did, but it's to help us to recognize this is part of our history. It's part of who we are. That's a collective piece, right? But then there's also individual size. There's also individual pieces of healing where we need to recognize the own, the vulnerability within ourselves. And I was just at a conference where uh, somebody made a very gracious comment to somebody else and said, hey, do you want to go out for a beer afterwards? And the individual had to step back and say, I'm in recovery. I'm not able to do that. And that was one of those times where somebody's able to to claim for themselves their own vulnerability, their own trauma, the ways in which they are struggling in their own life. So there's different ways that we talk about our vulnerability, there's different ways we talk about our trauma, there's different ways we talk about our history, but all of those ways are important and all of those ways are part of the story of healing, right? All of those ways are part of the story of healing, and all of those ways help us to begin to understand what God is up to. And the good news is, and we'll get to this throughout our story today, the good news is, is that we, as we begin to understand more of the ways in which we need to be healed, we also begin to understand the depth of which God loves us. And that is going to be part of our story today as well, but we're just kind of taking the lid off here. We're just getting started. See, the folks of Jerusalem, they had forgotten, they had forgotten that they needed to be in touch with the reality of their own history. And they were, like us, in so many ways, they were obsessed and immersed with this project of nationalism. They needed to survive, right? They needed to survive within the world. That was really what they were interested above all else, was how is it that we keep this place on the map? That's what they wanted to do. And they were so immersed in that particular part of their story that they had forgotten, in fact, that their real story was so much bigger than just the boundaries of their nation. And so the Pharisees, in an attempt to help Jesus, in an attempt to sort of protect him, they have this conversation with him where they say, you need to get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. You see, they have his best interest at heart for survival, right? They're interested in keeping him alive. But Jesus takes this opportunity to step back and say, this project is about so much more than survival for me. Right? This is about so much more than survival. And it's so important that it's about so much more than survival that I'm not going to do what I need to do in order to make space for people like Herod. You see, he, he, is, he, he gets that the Pharisees are saying, we want to protect you. And what he says is that I'm not going to abide by a narrative that says that I need to be protected from Jerusalem. 
Because that, in fact, is where I need to be. So he speaks back and he says, you tell that fox what I'm up to. You tell him that I couldn't care less about national stability or Roman diplomacy because that was never what this whole thing was about to begin with. And then Jesus does something very interesting and it's very confusing when you read it, but I want to help you kind of get a grip on this because what he's doing in this instance is he's trying to help them understand what their history was about. You see, he gives them this moment of irony. He essentially says, by the way, Pharisees, I'm out of Jerusalem right now anyway, so there's no way that they can kill me because I'm still a hair away from that place where I'm fair game. Did you catch what I said there? So he's saying because he's out of the boundary of Jerusalem, technically they can't kill him. And of course, there's no like rhyme or reason around that. What he's doing is he's pointing a finger at the history that they've had in the past. And he's saying every prophet that's entered into Jerusalem, you've killed. But by the way, I'm not quite there yet. So I don't quite fall into that line. And in that ironic statement, what Jesus is doing is reminding the Pharisees of grounding them in the actual history that they have. Not the history they think they have, not the history they want, but the actual history that they have. And the grief, the grief that Jesus unlocks as he makes that ironic statement is that what he's also saying is that the very place from which its existence has come to pass by the promises of God, the very place that has been developed on faith by these promises of God, this is the very place where the prophets can no longer safely speak. And so he's stabbing them to sort of help them to kind of get at their history in a truthful way, but he's also leading them into a place of grief where he's helping them to recognize that this was never where we wanted to be, guys. This isn't what we wanted. We didn't want to create a city that would end up decimating its prophets. That wasn't the beginning of the story. And so in this moment that Jesus has with the Pharisees, he names the dis-ease in the whole history of that city. The whole way in which that city has set itself up as a nation state, the way in which that city is sort of inherently at war within itself because it's constantly needing to choose between the way of survival and the way of the prophets. And he's illuminating all of this for the folks who are around him. And ultimately, Jesus is not afraid to tell the truth about Jerusalem. He's not afraid to name the sickness that they've been suffering from. And the ways in which this dis-ease, this sickness that they have, has caused suffering. It's caused suffering. Suffering for Jerusalem, suffering for the people. And here's the move that Jesus makes in this text that I want you to be able to hold on to for this week. Because this, I think, is critical. 
from the suffering, from the suffering, this creates all of the foundation for why it is within the Christian tradition that we believe that we can move into healing. From the suffering, Jesus longs not for the city to be judged, but to be healed. The truth-telling that Jesus offers the city does not lead him into judgment, but it leads him into lament. And that is a radical difference. That is a radical difference. Because lament and grief, this can be the place, the raw material from which healing can flow. Because it's honest about the dis-ease from which one suffers. You see, healing begins in the place where we can actually tell the truth about who we are and what we're struggling with, both individually and corporately. And then after the truth-telling, Jesus offers this great lament. One of the best passages in all of Scripture, one of the places that I'm sure that you've seen posted, perhaps in different church windows, as you've made your travels throughout the world, um, Jesus has this fantastic sort of moment of empathy where he says, How I longed, and that word in Greek comes from that gut place, how I longed, my compassion was stirred up within me, to gather you as a hen gathers her young. And then this is where I want you to notice the difference between your own text, because the same word is used for Jesus' interpretation of the folks in Jerusalem. He says, but this was not your longing. That's that same word. This was not what you wanted in the depths of your heart. This was not the being that you were sort of putting all of your energy for. How I longed to gather you, but you did not long to be gathered by me. That's really what Jesus is saying there. And then the truth-telling of Scripture then reveals us to us once again that God is ultimately not about separation, but about restoration about restoration. That's what Jesus wants to see happen within Jerusalem, and that's what he shares with his deepest longing to begin with. That God has chosen us in our weakness, not in the ways in which we have chosen to put ourselves on the map, but just because God chooses us in love, that is it. That is it. You see, as Jesus is able to tell Jerusalem the truth about its dis-ease, so also Jesus is able to tell the truth about God's heart and God's impulse and God's inclination and God's desire to be with us. To be with us. One might think of it as, I longed, Jesus says, not to fix you, but to gather you. I longed not to make you successful, but to know you. I longed not to ensure your domination and survival, but to hold you in your vulnerability. You see, that's what that image gives us. But that is not what you longed for, Jesus says, and honors that. You see, Lent gives us this opportunity to remember that truth-telling leads us into the heart of God. 
Truth-telling leads us into the heart of God. And we need to remember, especially during Lent, that the heart of God is a salve for our world. The heart of God is a salve for our world. The heart of God tells the truth and does not put away, but then brings close. The heart of God exposes, but then does not cast out into judgment, but brings healing. It is the salve that heals our wounds and then friends. It is the salve through which we are called then to heal the wounds of the world. So that is the work of Lent. To begin this healing process, to begin the journey of being truth-tellers, to be open to the dis-ease that we see within ourselves and in our culture so that we may know the depth of the love of God and be able to share that with the world. All of us in this room know that the depth of the heart of God was in those two mosques in New Zealand on Friday. We know that the depth of the heart of God does not distance itself from human beings because of how they say the words or because of how they do the motions or because of the color of their skin. And yet, people forget. And yet, people forget. So friends, our work of Lent is to tell the truth about ourselves. To listen to the voice of others so that this does not continue to happen. And to reach out and extend a hand in our humanity, knowing that Jesus was the one that set his first foot in humanity, so we should fully follow his lead. To meet with our brothers and sisters of every faith tradition, to say we are sorry. And if there's anything that we can do, this will not happen on our watch. But that means we need to do our theology. We need to be aware of the places of our collective, emotional, personal, societal dis-ease. And then we need to figure out how do we continue to cultivate that conversation of healing. Because we cannot change unless we are healed. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you around this story of Jerusalem and we hear what it is that you were saying to the Pharisees and we also hear in that you're longing for us. Help us to 
translate that into our daily lives, into the folks around us who need to hear that word. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, let us stand.